I would think it is safe to say that the majority of us have seen or frequently watched porn of some sort, gratifying our sexual desires and curiosity, all the while our minds are being rewired, creating alternate realities. Porn goes way beyond just an arousal tool. It is an industry that, if unveiled, would reveal horrendous stories at the cost of our gratifications. In this episode, I am chatting with co-host Mike O, where we dive into our experiences with porn as well as how it shaped our outlook on sexuality, followed by an awesome guest that I am happy to say I've had the privilege to have on She Discovered. Helen Taylor is the vice president of Exodus Cry, an international organization committed to abolishing sex trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation. She will be schooling myself, Mike, and you listeners on some of the behind the scenes connection with the porn industry and sex trafficking. This is truly an eye-opening episode, so stay locked in. This Around the Way girl wants to chat with you. She's discovering new information in this world that surrounds her, tapping into her inner power, her sexuality, and taking ownership of her insecurities. She discovered she had to unlearn some things. Come and enjoy her moments of reflection, re-education, redefinition, and evolution. Kick back, sip some wine, take a drive, whatever your vibe. Join me, your host, Shay Sana, with She Discovered Podcast. So stay tuned. You might learn some things. All right, listeners, welcome back to another episode of She Discovered Podcast. This is going to be another heavy episode this season. Although we're talking about all things sex and all things sexuality, I wouldn't do it justice if we don't talk about the serious issues revolving around sex as well. So I have a featured co-host, not guest, featured co-host with me in this episode. He is a returning guest on the podcast. I have Mike O here with me, a very dear friend of mine as well. If you haven't seen him before on She Discovered Podcast, please go check out episode one, where we're talking about spiritual shifts in our lives, as well as in this generation. And you can find it on YouTube, and it'll definitely be linked in the show notes. But Mike O, thank you so much for returning on She Discovered Podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much, Shane. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I'm honored just because I know what we're going to talk about is pretty heavy. I'm honored that you saw fit that um, you wanted me to be a part of this kind of discussion the topic we are talking about is pornography however we are talking about pornography in connection to sex trafficking but before we get to that i want mike and i to just kind of tap into our experiences when it comes to pornography so mike we're just gonna dive right in now when it comes to pornography i would say the because you know we break it up into different ones you have like people hardcore pornography softcore pornography i said the softcore pornography was my first introduction to my knowledge i think was when I was in elementary school, I went to one of my friends' uh, house, stayed over there uh, for the night, put on something on Playboy. That was when it was that, it's that experience for a kid. It's like you're seeing something that it's so intriguing. And, and because I didn't have the talk, I didn't really understand mechanics of what sex is. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that I'm seeing something, it's just like that intrigue, that kind of experience is shocking. But at the same time, it leaves you curious. Even around that time, I was still uh, looking at more of the, I guess you'd say, the adult programs. 
but it wasn't like to the the level of what people classify pornography. But it'd be like those late those late night programs. Um, yes. <laughs> you know that after dark or whatever, whatever like yeah. that. Which is which is very interesting because I was used to it in a more romantic way. It was more I get surrounding it. romance. Yeah. So that was my you. That was what actually what I was more introduced with at mm-hmm. first. When it came out to now looking the other thing, that was where it now has become more shocking. More because you're seeing their emotion is really taking is taken out of it. It's not like somebody they longed for or just wanted to have this experience that is with. So it true. is just it's it's gone. I remember what you meant with soft porn. It was more of a romantic. You had like the music going on in the yeah. background and the, it was more sexy. <laughs> right? And everything like that. It, there's a build up to it. There's a story. And yes. There's a story also. It's building up to it. That's what we that's what we had. This is before the internet. This is before, before the, the internet. internet. Yeah, like you said, yeah, dang, you bringing me back like you said when your parents are going to sleep and you turn on the tv and you're trying to watch them late night shows or if you got cable and you fall upon showtime for me i saw the hardcore but it was in a magazine at a young age and my listeners if you're listening to other episodes you're going to hear me say it multiple times this season that i was exposed at five from my earliest memory right because i went to school kindergarten another child brought it from home they found it in their parents you know draw whatever brought it to school and we're looking at the images and we're like whoa and you feel bad because something tells you because you already know it's bad because we're sneaking to look at it right so you already know if the fact that we're sneaking to look at this this means it's wrong and you're like i don't want to get in trouble but i'm kind of intrigued but you're you're absolutely right in between that it was the late night viewing of softcore porn or certain sex scenes that we would see in movies you know what i mean but it was it until high school that the element of hardcore porn came about again because now with your friends or you're finding ways to watch it mm-hmm. you know on cable i remember i got caught <laughs> my parents <laughs> didn't too. see me in the moment thank god <laughs> they didn't see me in the moment but they found out true. found out that i found out the code to unlock a uh, pay-per-view so oh, I knew, yeah. you know, the old school remote controls with the cable. What was, I don't even, cable vision? Uh, was it cable vision? Mm-hmm, so late mm-hmm. at night when they were asleep and I was staying up and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stay up and watch TV. My mind would get curious and I'd go to that. And that's when I was, you know, exposed to, to hardcore porn. When it came down to my experience, uh, it was something that I, I think I recently understood that now I'm in a world where there's so much options and there's so much available gratification. I can control the the dopamine release. I can control how this works, which would be my escape when I wasn't having successful interactions with women Mm. or girls at that time. So this became my safe place because they, they, I'm never rejected here. I get whatever I want here. That became, that really became a regular part of my life. It was mm-hmm. easy, it's available, and of course, as more and more technology advances, it just becomes my place to go, just like a drug or with alcohol. It is your place to go when you want to get away from any emotion. And if right. I feel upset, if I feel rejected, if I feel whatever, that is always there um, waiting for me. I'm even asking, I'm praying, asking God for help, I'm doing this and this and this, talking to friends, but this something's not clicking until I actually got help. 
I need counseling. I need accountability because if I don't have the counseling and accountability, I know I'm going to default. I'm just going to default back to it. It's like, you know, almost like we say, we say that it's like a thorn in your flesh, letting you know that, hey, you know that if you are not doing what's healthy for yourself, engaging in healthy relationships, doing what, t- taking care of yourself and allowing yourself to be loved by the people holding yourself accountable, allowing other people hold you accountable. If you're not actively working, um, you will default to it. And, and, mm-hmm. the, and one of the reasons why, because there's always a gateway. Meaning it could be, it could be, I could be on TikTok. I yes. could be on TikTok and all of a sudden, bam, an image comes and it's not hardcore. But I said, but it is one of those things that just excites you again. It's almost like I'm excited again. And then I have to be cognizant and saying, okay, here's what the, here's, here's where this can go. Thank you for coming this far into the episode. I wanted to share the exciting news of She Discovered Podcast expanding to YouTube. We will still be streaming audio episodes via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. In addition, extra episodes will air via YouTube from time to time. So please be sure to follow and subscribe. Updates and teasers can be found on Instagram at She Discovered Podcast. Enjoy the rest of the episode. The top two things that you mentioned is that the dopamine, right? What people don't understand is that porn, yes, can become an addiction, like food addiction, drug addiction, alcohol alcohol addiction, because it releases some type of dopamine or excitement, right? A type of trigger right. in your mind that tells you this feels good. In order to feel good again, you must do this. And it's a vice because whatever we're running from, whatever void that we feel, that's the reason why we land into these addictions, whatever whatever it may be. The thing is, it was difficult for you to remove it is because you had to deal with the root of the issue, Mm. right? So you looked for outside counsel to help you identify that root issue. And again, just like any addiction, I mean, praise be to the most high, right? That when he says he takes things away, he truly does. But it doesn't mean because of how the memory works and the mind works, it doesn't mean that certain things won't trigger it. But how do we deal with those triggers? My journey, what happened was removing the idea of what pornography taught me, not only pornography, but how even music resembled pornography. And And I'll share why. But for me, the mentality I had as a woman, as a girl, young girl, was saying that, okay, in order for a a guy or a boy to be pleased sexually, you got to live up to the standard that you're seeing in these pornos. You got to be aesthetically pleasing. But overall, that's general in media. We're always comparing our, our bodies as females and stuff like that. You know, you are here for the man's pleasure. So if you're not doing this, if you're not pleasing him in this way, then he'll find it another place, right? So it was the disillusion that it's funny that even though I saw the softcore porn and the romanticism, once I was exposed to hardcore porn, it kind of just erased the 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 visuals that I received from from softcore porn because it was just like like you said there was no emotion it was just like lustful satisfaction we want the intimacy as human beings so we try to trick ourselves and staying and saying yes I can yes. still mimic what I see in pornography and connect emotions to it when you're connecting your inner reality with something that isn't reality 
it's in a way it's no matter what your brain it's like your brain don't care your brain don't you care could, you could be like no i know there's lights and all this kind of stuff but like the only thing that separates you is the screen for it's like it's almost like you are actually a part of this what's the difference except for there's a screen what would be different if you were in the same room on top of music how i felt like music mimicked it in a certain way is i'm gonna talk based on my experience i'm not saying mm. heavy metal rock and roll whatever other genre didn't have it but from what I knew growing up, R&B specific, because R&B still had the romanticism factor, right? Mm -hmm, but specifically mm -hmm, hip hop mm -hmm. and the misogynistic lyrics that you heard. Like I listen to certain lyrics to certain songs now that I hear and realize they were actually talking about rape. They were talking about gang banging. But you didn't pick up on that because you're hearing the lyrics. It's dope. The music videos, just the demeaning of women. And how they are these strong men that you just must satisfy sexually as if giving the narrative to women that the way they're describing the sexual act, you got to like it. You, you just yeah. got to like it. For you not to like it makes no sense. You know what I'm saying? And don't get me wrong. We had the female rappers that were talking about things sexually as well. And I'm not trying to say that these sexual descriptions are not reality because us as human beings have lived these things out mm -hmm. but what i'm saying is it depicted a narrative that was only one-sided or in many elements i believe was actually on some level toxic because yeah. it left a lot of people not being self-aware but being like blind sheep and just listening to or watching to, okay, so this is how sex works, but not understanding the human connection aspect when it comes to sex, because sex is a sacred act. It's coming from everywhere. You know, it's, it's coming from, you get the visual, you get the visual. And if you don't, it's not on the visual side, you know, what you just said is now it's, it's audio. You don't have to watch anything to have the same kind of theme play in your mind. So that's become the other entry path. So he says, not through the eyes, it'll be through the ears. And we see how the, the theme is the same. You're being taught, whether you like it or not, you're being taught, your mind is being wired, I would say, to look at, generally speaking, male dominance. Yes. And women ex and female acceptance and enjoyment of dominance and power and mm -hmm. aggression. And mm -hmm. now it becomes the audio so that the audio that you listen to, it, the theme of it is like, this is male dominance and power and the women love it. And, and this, and from the guy side, this is what makes us men. And the more we are dominant in society in all aspects, especially sexuality, you know, the more grunts we get from our fellows, the more we are accepted as like, yo, this guy is a man. I remember even for myself, looking at individuals, those individuals who were more like players in school, I looked at is like, these were the guys who got the girl. These are the guys who got the girls. Man, I, I'm not like that. I don't have the game they have, you know? So it's because they're so aggressive and dominant and just in life period they'll get into mm -hmm. a fight or whatever so that becomes like ah i, I you feel inadequate as a man and right. then you feel pressure you can feel pressure to get into that whereas the on the woman's side i really recently learned it's not the same thing it's like oh i need to become more aggressive it's like you start comparing yourself now it's because now it's like if i don't do these things i won't be accepted and i won't be admired and loved and and and, and complimented mm -hmm. and this and that 
until I do what they say. Yes, you know? yes, <laughs> exactly, wild. exactly. And that's what I was going to say, where even amongst my peers, you know, you want to have your own sexual identity. You want to learn, what do I like, what I don't like? And, you know, that's in another episode that I have on female sexual awareness, where we talk about elements like that, where it's just like, there were so many things that were against us that didn't allow us to learn our own sexual personality. We say that all the time, right? We take personality tests. What are you? I-N-J-T. Da, da, da. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, yeah. Or what is your love language? Yeah. But we don't yeah. take time to actually identify our sexual personality. What do we yeah. like? But we're told what it's supposed to look like. And because we're being fed these things, then from generation to generation, from people to people, this is the narrative that's being spread. Deep down, even through the pressures, even through guys like, oh, like, oh, you a virgin? Or like, so you mm -hmm. get as a guy, you're just like, you feel like you, I got to do something. Like, I have I to do, do something. something. You feel like you just look. You feel awkward. You don't get celebrated, you know, in high school or constantly if, if somebody finally be like, oh yeah, you are? Man, good for you, bro. You know, listen, never you don't get that speech. You don't get that speech. They'd be like, they look at you like, what? Like what? Like what? It's just weird. Like, what's wrong mm -hmm. with like what's like mm -hmm. they look at something's wrong with you? And it's like, I was a child. Like, I'm a child, yeah. even like high school. You're a child. How much of the childhood was just it's almost like like robbed. I robbed myself. I had the education and I didn't have to I explored on my own through my own curiosity. You didn't get to just enjoy being a kid but i even through all of that even through my journey with the pornography even th this there was a deep longing there was a deep longing for intimacy of my side so i think i don't even know if for some reason that that was maybe connected to the fact that I, that was the earliest things i did see where it was right. more like it was, everything was more of a romance stuff and i was all in that world i still wanted that you know but at the same time like i said before it's like it's easily accessed it can help you escape that world. It becomes an easy place to fall back on when you feel stressed, angry, whatever emotion you don't want to feel. Yeah. Then it actually kept me from regularly seeking and engaging in an actual relationship. Ooh. So it, okay. it keeps it keeps me because it's because it, like it's almost like why? Because right. especially if you're not getting much success as a young man, it's, the fantasy is what will feed. The, it will create. I believe creates the delusion and it'll feed the delusion. Of because course. at the end of the day, I'm still being satisfied. You know, I'm not hurting nobody. I'm not getting any disease. I'm not impregnating anyone. Right. Also, you know what harm? You don't. Am I you don't see no harm. You don't see no danger. Right. And but not understanding the long term effects. Right. And as we're speaking, is it just us? Is it? Is it just you and I that are just saying this I, was our experience and no I, one else? And no, it's not true. A lot of people are affected by pornography. So I'll just say this, right? While watching the documentaries, two documentaries, Raised on Porn and Liberated, The New Sexual Revolution, you can get a look inside into the lives of some individuals who have not only gone through tough experiences, but admit that porn has had a negative effect on how they view sex and interact with their partners. Both films were written and directed by Benjamin Nolot, CEO of Exodus Cry, an international organization committed to abolishing sex trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation. Now, what's the dope part about this episode is that our featured guest, Helen Taylor, is actually the vice president of Exodus Cry, and she will be joining us later in this discussion and about this movement.
my question to you is we both watched the documentaries right raised yeah. on porn which is available on youtube for free mm -hmm. and um liberated the new sexual revolution which is on netflix if you don't got netflix get somebody password till they cut that stuff out <laughs> <laughs> right so yeah. we both watched it what were your thoughts watching these documentaries and you could talk about either both of them or even one of them i felt sad i felt so sad just because it's like it helped me see like being a child is so special it's so sensitive it's so fragile it has to be gradually introduced to certain things in its right time but the one with the um the liberated one is deep because it just helped me understand more of the culture that's going on. Like what we said, like about trying to remove the emotion and love. Male men is more dominant, it's more like what's dominant. I'm looking, I'm looked at as more of a powerful male figure because of how much conquest I can have with the amount of women that I get to sleep with. It's easier to find a sexual partner than to be in a relationship. So we naturally gravitate to what's easy. The big difference, the big difference with the sexual revolution, like before, even the sexual revolution before, like in the it was still, yes, it was like mm -hmm. that part where it said the sexual revolution before, there was still a free love kind of thing. Now it's just like, just freely get some. You know? <laughs> now it's like, like, freely just, get some. Just, just get some and that's it. Porn is not a teacher to, on how to have a loving, intimate relationship. So that means if I'm so drowning in this, as many people are, it's like I saw how it was affecting my relationships. What you saw, you want to live out. You saw it. Now you want to be a part of it. Now you want to know how does it feel to experience what you then saw. But you have to understand that because someone doesn't do a something devious that you may have seen years ago and you just fantasize that you want to be a part of mm -hmm. makes this relationship a failure or go yes. ahead to failure. You're trying to be intimate for a guy. You're trying to be intimate with a woman. But the images are in your head while you are trying to be intimate. Father God. Them. And that becomes Father more God. exciting. And that becomes more exciting. It almost makes real life very boring. Unless Ooh, you can you can you can try to merge the two. So that's the thing with the dopamine release, because you mm -hmm. cannot get that same high again. So yeah. you have to find out how to how to turn it up a notch. I see how it kind of works together, but not in a healthy way. But it's working together. Both sides, one side is like, bam, I'm gonna dominate because this is what guys do. All right, I guess I'll let you dominate because I guess that's what girls do. Yeah, because oof, you said a lot that is very vital. But I tell all my homeboys this. I tell men multiple times, what you deem as a great sexual experience with one woman and she liked it, does that mean the other woman's going to like it? Does not mean if you enter into a marriage, she's going to like it. You need to now learn this person's sexual personality. I am an advocate for conscious sex experience, right? And then even advocating more for entering into sex when you get married, right? Because I'm not saying it's a bulletproof, <laughs> but it's definitely a higher probability if both parties are sexually aware and educated. Because we have a lot of married folks out here that don't know what they're doing and they just it, as sex. It, and it, they are it, just as all... sexually frustrated, <laughs> still dealing with <laughs> all type of sexual deviance or trauma or whatever. I'm talking about two sexually aware beings and mm -hmm. educated that are willing to have open communication about their sex lives and know that, you know what, as a man, I should understand that even if I have have had sex with five, six, whatever women, mm -hmm. if I'm now having sex with Sarah, Sarah doesn't like what those five, six other women like. Yeah. 
you have to learn her body. You have to learn her personality. But like you're saying with the pornography, we've, we've just been giving this one image or multiple images of what all women like. When we watch these two documentaries, another thing that I was led to learn uh, by the company Exodus Cry is that I had no idea that pornography was even connected to sex trafficking. I was shocked. I was just like, oh my God, this is more serious than I thought. And not only in the sense of like child pornography, because that's the only Mm -hmm. time we it as a crime that yeah. you're watching child pornography then this is where feds may come to yep. your door and you know okay. in jail time you could yep. be considered yep. a sexual offender but we never connect pornography to sex trafficking did you have any idea about that i think i've heard of that before I remember hearing testimonies of ex-porn stars who mm. were describing their experiences. It, I don't think a lot of people think about it. I definitely didn't think about it because it's just like, hey, listen, I'm watching this and they're participating in this too, you know? So it's it's their choice, you know, it's an empowerment thing. Hey, listen, they're part of it. Okay, maybe it may go crazy or something like that, but hey, I'm, I'm almost putting a blind faith into the producers and everybody that mm. this is a very controlled environment and if there's anything and it goes weird. They'll check it. She's looked at as enjoying it. But then when I'm hearing testimonies and women are telling about experiences that they had, and it's like, now I'm getting the, the impression that no, they're not all enjoying it. I've heard of ex-porn stars' testimonies, but I never heard it to that level. They would just say how things were staged, how they really weren't excited about the sexual experience, and how you said it was male-dominant. When (laughs) I connected it to you, you said something that's very important, where you really leave it up to the trust of the filmmakers. And sometimes, like we mentioned earlier, because we feel like in watching it, we're engaged, like we feel like we're there. So there's no specific person watching or camera crew or whatever, you go into this Mm. fantasy world where you could not possibly fathom that this woman that's having sex with this man right now has been sexually trafficked. No idea. That's why I love that I came across the company Exodus Cry because they're providing so many resources and information. And I just want to share this post that I saw off their IG where they're sharing a testimony from an ex Pornhub content moderator. And we know right now Pornhub makes the porn industry makes billions of billions of dollars, right? What was said was that he or she often encountered videos that were uploaded again and again. No matter how many times he or she removed them, one day a woman emailed them calmly explained that her ex-boyfriend had uploaded a video of them having sex and asked me to remove it. I deleted the clip. Later that week, it was re-uploaded. The woman wrote again, remove it. And this was continuous for months and months, but their boss was telling them, no, leave it up because it's getting millions of views. Why take it down, right? And we know more traction that comes in, more money. And the last one that really made me sad was saying that once a woman wrote to say there was a video of her being sexually assaulted after someone spiked her drink at a party. It had tens of thousands of views. In the clip, the woman is clearly high, laughing, head rolling, having sex on bed, surrounded by fully dressed people holding dress, uh, holding drinks and watching as she was getting sexually assaulted. I took it down, but it was uploaded again repeatedly in the following months. 
Looking back, it felt like my role in content moderation was primarily to protect the company and not the victims of illegal porn. That spoke volumes to me. So I want to get more into it, especially with the company Exodus Cry. So again, we have Helen Taylor here, which I am so excited that you even agreed to do this interview and sharing information and knowledge with us. And I see here that you're originally from London, but you currently reside in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. California. You have over 13 years experience fighting against sex trafficking. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yourself, what made you want to enter into this field of work? Just to say thank you so much for having me on this podcast. We, we abolish sex trafficking by shifting the culture and these kind of cultural conversations uh, that we're having and inviting other people to learn from them is um, one of the ways that we shift the culture. So uh, we have a podcast as well and mm -hmm. we really believe in this as a, um, a way to um, share ideas and really like look into and investigate uh, truth and justice. And I have kind of had a heart for for women in prostitution since I was about 11 years old. Um, I used to see women advertised in postcard, on postcards in the red telephone boxes all over London, um, also in certain pockets of London. It used to really bother my dad. He would say, women shouldn't be advertised like a pizza in a telephone box. Like women are worth more than that. And it really bothered him. I later um, saw prostitution face to face in uh, when I was 16 in London. I got lost and found myself in a pocket of a red light district. And I just felt so much anger feeling like this woman, I didn't, I'd never even heard of the term sex trafficking then. Um, mm. But I just immediately understood the injustice and the power dynamics of here is this vulnerable woman. She didn't look British to me. She is in um, a position of vulnerability because if I was a man and I had some money in my pocket, even if I am completely not sexually desired by her in any way, I could be a hateful, perverted violent man but because I have money this gives me agency to purchase her consent like I immediately wow. understood the power dynamics of you know way pre me, me too movement who has the power the buyer the person with the money they are exploiting the vulnerability of someone who is so desperate that they are selling their body in the most dangerous risky way and I didn't even know any of the possible forms of coercion that could have taken place for her to get there. But just even as the power dynamic, I thought we as society are failing women if any woman is in this situation where she's having to sell her body to survive. Like that was just how I understood it. As a 16-year-old girl, I just wanted to give her a rose and give her a, a token of her beauty and, and self-worth. And from one woman to another to say, I see you. And your life is really precious. But I, there wasn't a florist open. And I was in this dangerous part of London. I was lost. So I, I got on the train and I wrote this account in my journal. And I was crying on the train, like so emotionally affected by this. And I was like, I want a better world for women. I just don't want any girl to be in that situation where she's any any man is purchasing her in such a, a violent way years later at university was when I really found out about the global ep epidemic of, of sex trafficking. And I decided to move to Cambodia, trained to be a, an art therapist after college. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I, I'm, I'll learn the local language, but I probably won't be super fluent in it within a few months. Um, although I, I absolutely tried my best, but art is a, a universal form of communication. And so I was mm -hmm. able to do art therapy with a group of women, a group of transgendered um, uh, lady boys, as they're called in that part of the world. And I just knew after being there even six months that I wanted to dedicate the rest of my life to 
fighting this. Even while I was living in Cambodia, my heart was always for kind of further upstream. I was like, I love that we're helping these women on their healing journey. But what about the women who are still in these brothels? Who's assisting them, helping them find a way out? And then after being in outreach for years and years, I'm now in a place where I'm like, the sex industry is such an industry of violence against women and children. How do we go about shrinking and reducing this industry as much as we can? So came back to England um, and it was just before that I saw the documentary that um, Exodus Cry had, had produced. And I'd, I'd been tracking with the founder, Benji, for many years. It was actually hearing him uh, pray for Cambodia that led me to moving there. I watched him on a, um, a prayer meeting that was streamed over the Internet. Um, I moved here for a year just as a full-time volunteer and ended up doing that for three years. After three years, I was like, okay, Lord, I need a, a paycheck. I can't survive just on you know minimal sponsorship from England. I was able to get a green card. It's been nine years. And I just love because our, our mission is, is still doing the outreach. We still go to the places where the women are sold in the sex industry, on the streets, the strip clubs, massage parlors, online. We give them roses and gift bags. Mm-hmm number and build relationship with them we support them and assist anyone who wants out um but we're also very aware that you could rescue recover however you want to put it 100 women out of sex trafficking but if as long as there's financial incentives for traffickers they're going to go and find 100 more vulnerable girls you have to follow the money you have to go after demand you have to go after the root and aggressively pull it up you have to analyze which legislation models worldwide are working to best reduce trafficking and how do we get them passed And then what that leads us into the whole topic of this podcast, um, the porn industry. I first made the connection between porn and trafficking while I was in Cambodia, interviewing one of the girls in our program who told me that she was trafficked from age 11. And while she was in the brothel as a trafficked teenage girl, Western men from England, from the States, from Australia, would come in and show her porn on their tablet and, and phone and, you know, Asian themed pornography that they were watching and they would ask her to recreate exactly what was in the porn. And this was a girl from age 11 was in these brothels. And that was the very first direct story and case I had right in front of me of most sex buyers um, do not wake up one day and decide I'm gonna go and buy a trafficked child in Cambodia. There's a process that leads them to that point. There's a fantasy that has been recreated in their mind time and time again. And for many men it is, Asian stereotypes or I mean there's all types of racism in porn that's kind of a whole other topic but there's a fantasy that begins and it gets to the point where just watching it on a screen is no longer enough the pixels aren't doing it for them and they want to actually recreate this fantasy in real life and so that's where sex buying happens so to go after the root of the root to go after demand to us looks like going after the, the marketing force of pornography, where the fantasy starts for so many of these men. But that's only one one of the intersections with porn and trafficking. And I've identified four actually that to me seem, um, is that okay if I share the, the other three? Yeah, yeah, actually <laughs> be, before you share, man, listen, you're talking and I feel choked up. First of all, praise God for you at such a young age for having that within your heart and spirit to want to do this work and have dedicated your life to do this work. And I just want to, I'm not even going to wait till the end. I just want to thank you for what you're doing. There's just so many 
women and children that are hurting out there. And the fact that we have even one person such as yourself that's taking the time to say, I see you, I want to help you. And what else can we do to, to dismantle this system, right? So thank you so much. And, and I saw that you said some of your work did include training and regularly reaching out to those who have been trafficked in multiple parts, like in the streets, in the strip clubs and brothels, porn conventions and online. So definitely share those other elements. And I also want you to touch on how does sex trafficking happen at porn conventions and online? So I think that, that that first intersection, and thank you so much, I genuinely feel like it's the honor and privilege of my life to even be able to work for something that I'm so passionate about that I would yeah. do for free and did for three years and that I get to actually do this every day and fight the thing I'm most passionate about feels like a tremendous honor. And the link between sex trafficking and demand and porn fueling that, that that's kind of one more obvious way that people can understand how trafficking and porn intersect. Um, when people think of porn right now, a lot of people think of studio made porn, kind of like mm-hmm. what you were mentioning earlier, assuming um, it's all consensual. There's been forms, there's been videos, they're vetted, we trust the producers. Most pornography actually isn't that type of porn anymore. And Pornhub, which was the, the world's biggest porn site, or at least up until a couple of years ago, but the uh, the company that owns Pornhub own the vast majority of all online porn sites. So that company, MindGeek, even though if you go on MindGeek's website, they don't have a, a word about porn. They really tried to uh, hide behind a veil of secrecy for a long time. Um, and a couple of years ago, our organization really exposed Pornhub. And we, we ended up having over 300 other organizations come on board. And this sort of movement began called Trafficking Hub. But most pornography on these sites and other is more like YouTube as a model. So it's more like created videos that were then uploaded. And these porn sites have other partner channels. They partner with different studio companies, but they allow anyone to create a porn video and upload it. And the majority of the porn on their sites was that type of porn. But just pausing on that for one second, the the studio type of porn and where I've done outreach and conventions in Las Vegas, um, we've met a lot of women who were freshly 18. I saw girls with braces on their teeth at these conventions who looked a lot younger than 18. Um, That's partly because, as we know, there's a whole popular genre of like teen-themed porn and schoolgirl-themed porn and porn recreating prepubescent girls with lollipops and teddy bears and pigtails. Like It's a barely legal genre, very problematic. A lot of girls are really groomed in their teenage years. They're often offered modeling contracts. Sometimes it is full-blown trafficking where a girl thinks she's going to a modeling shop and it's actually a porn porn scene, uh, but she is told that um, she would owe this entire studio $10,000 plus if she walks off set. She's already signed a preliminary wow. contract and there was uh, 50 plus women on a, a porn channel called Girls Do Porn who had this very experience and they all sued that channel. But then there's also more subtle forms of coercion. And remember that the legal definition of trafficking includes force, but also fraud and coercion. Mm. So what we're often seeing is girls, they're signing contracts, they have this glamorous idea of what porn is, maybe the Playboy bunny, or maybe they grew up watching their dad see porn. And in their mind, it's like to get, I want to be desired by a man. And if men watch porn, I have to be the most um, like desirable playboy bunny that a man could ever want. Uh, but whatever a, a woman's reasons for going into porn, she might sign a contract if she would do sex act A, B, and C, but then on the set, 
um, a very different, the, the script is flipped and she is um, forced to do things that she never consented to. Um, there's often alcohol on, on set. Um, there's all kinds of other violations that take place of condoms not being allowed. And, you know, we've interviewed dozens of performers who told us that um, extremely violent acts took place, things that they didn't consent to. And their um, private parts were left completely torn. Um, sometimes they were in surgery afterwards or they were always mm. to another scene while they're still bleeding or their um, organs are falling through their body parts. We've had performers tell us situations that made us so angry that, wait, this could happen. And these pornographers just hold up the piece of paper and say, well, she signed the consent. So, so we've actually made a documentary about the human rights violations in porn, the fact that you can't legally consent to your own torture. And a lot of what's happening, even in studio-based porn, would classify legally as acts of torture. The majority of porn is these homemade videos. And so two, two years ago, my colleague discovered that all you need to upload one of these videos is an email address. Do they check your age, government ID, for how old the person in the video is? No. Do they check the, the age or the consent of the person uploading? No just an email address. And so from that point on, we basically unveiled that Pornhub and other porn sites alike, they don't verify the age or consent on any video. We called for Pornhub to be held accountable. Over 2 million people signed a petition. 34 people, 34 million people watched this two-minute animated video that we made about it. And that caused this campaign to turn into a global movement. Um, and by the end of the year, um, it was on the front page of the New York Times, Nick Kristoff did his own investigation as well, inspired by the things that survivors were coming out and saying, and our organizations like ours were saying. And Pornhub removed 10 million videos, all their unverified content, because they didn't know there were hundreds or thousands of underage or um, non-consensual videos, and they deleted the download button. Essentially, they deleted 80% of their um, entire website um, and they would have carried on doing exactly what they did because like you mentioned earlier, they make money from, from revenue. The more clicks they get, the more that that's in their interest to have a lot of website traffic. And so we now currently have um, 97 lawsuits against MindGeek, just this one company, 97 lawsuits from trafficking survivors who were videos taken by their trafficker, were uploaded on Pornhub. Rape victims, the rapist filmed it, put it on Pornhub. Underage victims, uh, we had a 13-year-old girl whose boyfriend in her class persuaded her to send a little nude video. It was on Pornhub. Um, her other classmates found it, sent it to her, completely derailed her life. She dropped out of school. She turned to drugs. She attempted suicide. All kinds of situations, revenge porn victims. Um, a woman I spoke to earlier today, her iCloud was hacked. Intimate pictures were put on Pornhub without her consent. Waking up to the fact that these porn sites are acting in a completely criminal and corrupt uh, way. And there needs to be um, justice, there needs to be accountability, there needs to be regulation. I don't even know how to continue right now with everything that you just said. You just really opened up our eyes to so much. And I pray that my listeners take into account everything that you're saying, because it's vital. Like we don't even see how deep or detrimental that this goes, right? We, Mike and I were talking earlier and we were just talking about the effects on porn because we were watching the documentary Raised on Porn or Liberated. And we we're just mentioning, you know, the ways that it has warped our mind and understanding sexuality or sexual experience or even the 
misogynistic male dominance type of attitude that females have received. But you're going way further in saying that these are people's lives that are ruined, um, being ruined. And on top of that, the element of like a lot of things are without their consent. But us as the viewer for our own entertainment, for our own next fix or high experience, we don't even understand at the other side of this screen, this person is is basically getting raped, sexually assaulted, and multiple other things. As much as I thought, well, what's the problem? You, I don't know. And people who think it's an, uh, especially for you know men who are listening, or we think it's entertainment, honestly, because we assume that there's a regulation about it. We don't know. We don't know. And especially if you were if you were able to really talk to these people involved, I believe the story would be would be drastically different than what our our imaginations are trying to uh, to to have in this situation. The, the veil would be uh, yes. removed, right? The veil yes. of the the fantasies that we've gotten. Helen, I want this just popped up into my mind. I want your insight on this because sometimes when we watch sexual therapists or when we watch I remember I was watching a talk show and a talk show of women and they were talking about that yeah sometimes they use porn to spice things up or get you know educated what how do we how do we draw the line between okay I'm gonna watch this porn for sexual education or to spice up my marriage but you not know you can't go and research exactly this scene that you're watching so how do we draw the line like are we now to tell couples well i would i would say stop watching porn but how do we tell couples find another way to spice up your sex life or get sexually educated and i believe there are resources out there where we can obtain that but for those that still think that is the avenue you can't know what is behind this scene that you're watching you can never know and so whenever i've seen Therapist. I mean, even like Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's such a well-respected therapist, followed by so many people online. I just, you know, and, and to your point, Mike, Mike earlier about um, someone who wanted to get the videos down but couldn't. I am still working with survivors whose videos are still on Pornhub, and they were in the industry at that point. They left. They look back and they're like, "I was actually experiencing mental illness trauma. I wasn't fully present or consenting really to what I was in. That was the roughest period of my entire life. My lowest point. I was very suicidal." But yet I still see this company is making millions of still making money off of those videos. It has millions of views. And so to any therapist that's even encouraging any couples to watch porn, they need to just I'm assuming they don't know um, a lot of the things I've just shared. But I would hope that if they did know, they would think twice about giving that advice. The truth is that a lot of people were exposed to pornography as a child. And so the way that pornography rewires your, your brain and from a lot of studies, and we're about to release a book on this very thing this year, um, it makes it increasingly hard for both men and women to be sexually aroused without then the visual stimulation of pornography because they're basically rewiring their brains to only achieve orgasm through certain types of pornography that they're they're brainwashing themselves and so then when it, they're with a physical partner you can go on forums of men struggling with erectile dysfunction from porn use the use of viagra is off the charts there are a lot of very concerned therapists who um, equating pornography use with struggles in the sex lives and relationships of couples the solution isn't to introduce more porn for for a guy perhaps who um, isn't able to, um, is ha isn't having a sexually satisfying relationship with his partner and he's wanting to introduce porn because that's what 
maintain um, an erection. The answer is not to introduce porn of, a, of another couple or person that may not be even consenting to be in that video. Um, a lot of women, ex especially, they experience it as a form of cheating, knowing knowing that their partner is watching porn and being sexually aroused to the body of someone else. And so we need to come back to some fundamental questions like, do we want as a society or as individuals to be sexual voyeurs of we watch other people having sex and that is what um, turns us on to the point that we we struggle with a real person and it's mm -hmm. much more comfortable to turn to porn because you don't face any type of rejection there's no commitment and I just think as a society it's very sad the direction that it's going because do we want to trust our sexualities to a porn industry that is a hyper-capitalist commodifying industry that does not have humans' best interests at heart, does not have children's best interests at heart, that is much more hell-bent on them being uh, financial subscribers for life and so being hooked to their content for life. These are nefarious characters. These are villains. Pornography directors and producers, and we've interviewed a lot of them, they are sadists. They talk about wanting to capture women's pain on camera and the type of pornography that they the majority of porn directors and producers are interested in making would really um, disturb us i think it's important people should feel shaken up and a bit disturbed by this topic yeah that's how i feel <laughs> listening to this um i had a question uh, have you spoken spoken to men who are porn actors and mm. and if so what is like a con kind of consensus you've been able to get from the men who have been now they're the part of the show as the dominant figure in in the scene yeah we have interviewed some male porn actors obviously there's a lot more women um than than men in porn and most of our studies and interviews have focused on heterosexual porn gay porn is as kind of a, a category that i can't really speak into as much and i um there has been porn actors who have been later charged with sexual assault and so some people in porn are there for nefarious reasons of you know they don't have the female actors best interest at heart um, during these scenes in Hollywood there's a lot of people who come here and I live here in Los Angeles they come here to get into acting or modeling and sometimes their break doesn't come and so they think well I'll, I'll just do maybe I can get into Hollywood this route it never turns out well that the average that people stay in porn is about three months and what happens um, certainly for women, but for men as well, once they've gone through kind of all the types of, of genre, they're no longer a novelty of being new anymore. Actors in porn who actually even make any type of financial success is very small. You know, the, the couple of actor, male actors that I can remember from our interviews, um, and it wasn't me personally who interviewed these guys, they talked about condom use being discouraged on set. They said, if I insisted, insisted on a condom, I probably wouldn't be hired for the next shot. And we were told that it ruins the fantasy. And then we had another producer say, of course it ruins the fantasy. Who wants to see a condom in porn? These people know they sign up for a deal with the devil when they sign on and so just even hearing the performers kind of say we were at risk of stds every week as well and hiv is is uh and, and herpes and all of the, the the common stds are rampant and we felt very vulnerable and unprotected so there's so many elements to the industry that need to be exposed and talked about as uh, harming real people and real people's lives hijacking and wrecking human sexuality um do we want to be educated by them i i would say no 
you know, this, this episode is just one of the many ways that I want people to view pornography differently, to hear the truth about pornography. And don't get me wrong, Mike and I were talking earlier about our experience when we were exposed to pornography as kids and how it shaped our mindset on sexuality, right? So we know that if you, a, a good portion of people have viewed pornography, may have been addicted to pornography, still uses pornography as a sexual stimulant, but to understand all these factors, it's like, no, more and more people need to know like tremendously, tremendously. So in what other ways can we support this movement, especially listeners? How, how do we become more aware? How do we support the movement? I know we have the company you're vice president with Exodus Cry. You know, you can go on the website, exoduscry.com. You have traffickinghub.com. But I want you to tell us more in depth, how can we be of support? Our films that we've produced are really, we want people to be informed and educated and empowered with that knowledge. And so the film that you were mentioning earlier, Raised on Porn, that is on YouTube. It's just a 35-minute documentary all about how kids and youth being exposed to porn, how it impacts the brain and our, our sexuality and all the different kind of behaviors that long-term addiction can even lead to. And so that's been a really informative documentary that kind of focuses on the, like the public health crisis nature of porn. Um, the human rights nature of porn is for our next film. So watch out for that. It'll be coming out in the next few months. Um, you can follow us on Instagram um, to, to stay in touch with that. Join our mailing list, all of the above. Um, our YouTube channel has a lot more educational videos that are even like two minute short videos um, for understanding more about trafficking, about the sex industry. So we just say, you know, we, we'd love you to just track with us. We produce this content because we want to inform the public and that's how we shift culture. We have a, a petition that we're going to be taking to Washington DC this year that is um, requiring and asking for age verification laws to be passed for porn. So we have a whole list of resources. If anyone is listening and they're like, they their partner struggles with porn, they struggle with porn, and they're like, I've never found a program that works. They are wanting to just learn more. We have a whole resources page um, from the Exodus Cry, Protect Children Not Porn is our current campaign on that. And there's probably about 50 plus resources and some of the best programs in each category we highlight. Uh, once you start talking about it, this is an issue that impacts everybody. Like you said earlier, Shay, people have either been exposed to porn themselves or they know someone who has been and it's had a detrimental impact on their life. Like this is something that um, every family, every community, every church and, and school needs to be addressing. So we're really glad that you decided to talk about this on the podcast. Most definitely. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that last point that you made that I think it should be, I, I don't know if I would say a class or maybe it should be, but that every school, every church should be exposed to the documentaries that you've made because yeah, we need our children, our teens, our young adults to hear this information. And most importantly in our church environment, because we feel like, oh, let's not talk about sex or, oh, yeah. no one is struggling sexually. Oh, all these married couples that waited to, you know, have sex before they're married. Everyone's okay. And you're dealing with husbands or wives with sexual addictions, pornography addictions, not sexually satisfied. You know, you have people that even the concept of even rape within 
marriages in the church culture because it seemed to not withhold sex from one another. So if we're able to actually take the time and not still have the mentality of these things being taboo, come on, we're in this world where it's just like certain things we just can't hide anymore. Sex is a natural thing, but how we're treating it, joking about it, listening to songs about it. So we are talking about it in some way, singing about it, watching it, but we're not having these kind of real conversations about it with each other. And that'd be, it'd be great to even start seeing that becoming normal things where yeah. families, friends, whoever, couples, we're actually talking about our sexuality, talking about what this is. I mean, for me, this episode will come out. And even for me, I know, I'm like, I'm thinking, I thought in my head, oh man, I don't want my family to know. Because we don't talk about it. We don't talk mm -hmm. about it. But I know, I deep I know that I cannot be the only one, even in my own family, who's in the exposed, or they could be someone whose family, extended family, close friend who's who's struggling and doesn't know what to do with it. If, if porn is ever even mentioned, it's in a context of, of sin and shame. And that's actually right. a really unhelpful way to only talk about porn in, in association with sin or even an addiction. It's like, we need to unpack what does that mean for it to be an addiction? If a, a drug dealer with heroin went up to a kid in a playground and injected them and that kid then struggles yeah. with addiction, we would have sympathy knowing it was not that child's fault. Um, we need to understand childhood exposure to porn in a similar light. It thrives in secrecy and, and, and shame. People then internalize that shame and, and feel like they are bad and therefore they act bad. And we need to help people even frame this this topic to to know that they were assaulted in a way they were neurologically assaulted through porn um, they can get free they their brain can be rewired what is the vision what is on the other side what does what does a healthy human sexuality look like various ages or various situations and statuses in life thank you right. for, for opening this up Shay <laughs> of course of course listeners this has been a filled heavy episode, but very, very necessary. And I pray and hope that the information that you received today has been insightful, has provided some wisdom, some knowledge, not only for yourself, but for those that surround you. So please do share this information. Do not hold it to yourself. And even if you need it just for yourself, because you're dealing with a lot of things that were mentioned in this episode, then that's great. That has made me happy. So please tune in to future episodes where we continue the topic of sex and sexuality on She Discovered Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you've gained some knowledge, insight, and clarity in this moment, creating your own inner discoveries. Tune in again with new episodes released every Tuesday. And most importantly, head over to at She Discovered Podcast on Instagram to interact with me and receive more tips and info relating to all topics discussed. As always, you are appreciated. <laughs>